I want to start off by looking at a bit of some survey findings. Now, I don't necessarily love using survey findings because some people go, oh, right, okay, survey, here we go. Uh, but as I look at this one, I wonder if you'll actually recognize this experience because it certainly resonated with me, not necessarily in positive ways. Uh, a finder.com.au survey did 1,004 respondents, and so that's a, a certain size that's needed to be able to then make some good results from it. Uh, it revealed that about 6.2 million Australians, or roughly 32%, depending on exactly when this survey was done, uh, have a gym membership. So that means in this room, roughly a third of you have a gym membership. And right now, some of you are going, oh, yeah, that's right, I do have a gym membership, don't I? Oh, so I, do you know how you get around that guilt? Don't get a gym membership. Uh, no. So here's the reality of what I actually did. This is what the survey found. Of those members, so 50% of those, so equivalent of about 3.1 million adults, attend the gym less than once a week, with their wasted membership fees totaling a whopping $2.4 billion per year. That they're paying so much for their gym membership and going that one time a week that actually what it would save if they didn't do that would be about $2.4 billion per year. The survey also found that around one in five of those people with a gym membership show up to exercise less than once a month. Now, I once had a gym membership. I don't currently. I toy with getting it from time to time. You know, you, you go through that phase and you go, I really should get fit again. Like, I, I really should lose if you get it. Coming through winter, winter's always a bad time. And so coming into spring, there's that kind of, I'm going to get active again. Like, that's just kind of what starts to happen. And what happens is we tend to say something like this. This time, it will be different. Okay, those seven other times that I joined a gym and then didn't go after the first month, you know, they're, they're just outliers. That's not the reality of my experience. This time, it's going to be different. And this maybe, maybe this isn't just your approach with the gym. This might be your approach with other things too. And what we often tend to do is take the all or nothing approach. We get all excited about New Year's resolutions. Is anyone still following the New Year's resolutions? Anyone who can confidently say... You know how you get away from that? Don't set New Year's resolutions. But we do. We take the all in there. And this is the person who goes down to the local store that sells gym equipment, puts their credit card down on the counter and says, load me up. Everything that I, I've, I've set my garage up, I'm going to take this home and I'm going to get it all set up and ready to go. Or you go and sign up that gym membership so you don't have to lose your garage. And we often take the all-or-nothing approach. I wonder if you see any resonance between this and your spiritual disciplines, the private disciplines that you follow to grow your faith. Again, oftentimes at the start of the year, we, we reflect on the year that's been. Reflecting on the year that's been, that is actually a really good practice. Taking some time doesn't have to be at the end of the year, but taking some time to reflect on your journey, to reflect on where you're at, to reflect on where you're thriving and doing well, really good idea. But then what we tend to do is go, what would supercharge James look like? All right, day one, that's me. And by day 31, we're back to being James with the year before. 
We're going through a series called Faith Catalysts. And we're looking at the different practices of our faith and how they can help to instill a supercharged faith. But not necessarily overnight. This is not a get faith quick scheme. This is a how can you actually set your life up in such a way that day by day, bit by bit, increment by increment, your faith grows just that little bit more. Uh, We've looked at providential relationships, the reality that there are people who just enter your life at just the right time and that they play a role in growing your faith. Uh, We looked at practical teaching, the idea that it's not enough to just have teaching, but you actually need to find yourself, whether it's in church or whether it's your own practices that you're doing, getting teaching that helps you know what to do with it. It doesn't just grow your mind, but it actually grows your faith and helps you to live it out. We also talked about pivotal circumstances, that there are things that you just can't set up. You can't make certain things happen at just the right time. But they come along and in those moments, you can leverage those to grow in your life and faith. Or you can, what you can do is you can kind of be ready for them. You, you can have it self set up so that when those moments come across, you can jump on those and go, all right, that's it. This is a time that I can grow my faith. And so today I want us to take a little bit of a deep dive into private disciplines. People might know these by different names, you know, private disciplines, personal disciplines, spiritual disciplines. This might be your quiet time. For some people, their quiet time isn't particularly quiet, but they still call it their quiet time. It's really interesting. Uh, Or something like that. But it's those practices that we follow regularly to help deepen our faith. The main premise of this series and the main idea that we're sort of exploring and seeing how this plays out is that the main foundation of faith is trust. That I'm convinced that the main thing that sits under our faith and the main thing that helps our faith grow and the main thing that helps our, our faith flourish and the thing that holds us in our faith is that our trust in God grows. And that for many people who would say that they slipped away from faith or they lost their faith or sort of faith went away, one of the main things that they'll talk about is when they stop trusting God. They they stop seeing or believing that God would come through. They they stopped having the sense that actually God was there for them, was working for their good and he loved them. And that trust is the main foundation of our faith. Now, some of the historical spiritual disciplines, and you might look at some of them and go, when was that a discipline? Well, these are some of the ones that have been followed since the earliest times of people following Jesus. Uh, Solitude is a spiritual discipline. Some people really enjoy getting out into the bush and going having some quiet time where it's actually quiet, where they'll actually just stay in solitude for a period of time. Uh, Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Bible reading, whatever you might call that or whatever you might do with that, that's a spiritual discipline. Meditation, there is absolutely Christian meditation and ways of meditating. In fact, most of the Old Testament is known as a meditative literature that is actually really helpful to reflect and to dig in and to delve and you're meant to take some time and chew it over. Uh, Fasting is a spiritual discipline and that is one that really does require discipline. But historically, this was one of the most well-attested to practices 
within the church that fasting was a very regular practice within their life and faith. Now, chastity is a spiritual discipline. Confession, being willing to confess and to share what are the things that are going on in my life that maybe aren't as they should be and you know, who do I confess them to? And depending on your denomination and practice and history, uh, you'll have different experiences of what that looks like. Uh, fellowship, simplicity, giving, worship, celebration, service. Actually, private disciplines are so much more than what we sometimes boil it down to. And at the heart of all of these spiritual disciplines is the development of a deeper trust in God. The, the, the premise of spiritual disciplines, the reason that you would engage in them, the reason that you would make them a discipline, and the thing that makes it a discipline is it doesn't necessarily come easy. I find it really easy to eat that extra slice of cake. We've got cake today, by the way, after the church service, so are you going to practice fasting? Hopefully not. I find that really easy. It's a discipline to do some of these things. It's a discipline to go to the gym. It's a discipline to get the physique that you want to get. You actually have to focus and, and it does require you to put your mind to it. But what comes from doing these things as a discipline is your trust in God grows. And as your trust grows, your faith grows. So I want to look through a few of the main common ones, the ones that probably most of us either have been doing, should be doing, and are sitting there going, oh, yeah, that's right. This is the week where we talk about this, isn't it? And what it is that we can learn as we dig into this? What are some of the ones that we do collectively or together? Uh, so the first one I look at is reading the Bible, the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, we read this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's right living. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a premise that actually the scripture, that the reading of the Bible is one of the best practices that we can do to help us, to, to, to rebuke us, to teach us, to correct us, to train us, to learn what it means to live right. And so as we go through these different ones, what I want to do is I want to talk about trust issues. And a few people have just sort of sat back in their head, oh, I'm not sure about this. But the reason why I think this is really important is these, these practices that we do, they actually speak to the heart of why we struggle with some things in our faith. These are the things that help us press into those areas that we haven't yet given over to God fully. They're, they're things that we're kind of like, you know, I'm really glad that we have communion, that we can celebrate that Jesus lived, died and rose again. And I have confidence in my faith. I have confidence in those things. But now as I start to live out this faith, there are some areas that I'm just not yet ready to let go of. So what are the trust issues that the Bible helps us actually work around? Well, I think one of the main issue that reading the Bible helps to, to press into and discuss and to help us to learn to go against is it's the trust issue of choice. Will I choose to go God's way 
Or will I choose to go my own way? Will I choose to read through the scriptures and, and to let them give me a sense of what it means to follow Jesus? And even though maybe some of what it says isn't what I want, right down to the very core of maybe who I see myself to be, will I choose to go God's way? Or will I choose to go my own way? And that over a lifetime of reading through the scriptures and letting the scriptures read us and speak to us and challenge us, they will help us in time to choose God's way. And that's part of the reason for that spiritual discipline. And that's part of how our faith will grow. Because we let the words of scripture go deep inside of us and inform us of how we are to live, to follow Jesus. Not to gain our salvation. We gain salvation when we come to know Jesus. We are given full forgiveness through the death, his life, death and resurrection. When we accept him as our Lord and we spend the rest of our lives bringing the way that we live in line with the identity that we've been given in Christ. That we are free, that we are whole, that we are made new, that we are his loved ones, we're chosen by him. But we have to choose to live that way. Another one is prayer. Uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. They ask him, how do we pray? Like, what does this prayer thing actually look like? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what's the trust issue that prayer presses into? Well, I think there are many, but one of the main ones that I think prayer presses into is the issue of priority. Who has priority in our life? What has priority in our life? Well, will we allow God's priorities to become our priorities? Will we allow what God wants us to do and to be and to follow and how he wants us to live? Will we let those things become our priority? And again, it's not an overnight. It's not a 100% one day I'm doing one way, the next I'm doing the other. That's why it's a prayer life. And that slowly over time, these things help us to come to know him. And it's right there in the prayer. It's right there in the way that Jesus prays. There's a really helpful order, I believe, in how Jesus actually teaches his disciples. Firstly, he prays and says, God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I haven't used hallowed in like normal English for pretty much any context except for this. It just means honoured, glorified, may it be lifted up. It's effectively saying, God, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are, you are to rule, you reign, you are above us all. May your name be glorified. And that part of our life and practice is that we would allow God to be in the place that he deserves to be. The next one is Jesus talks about the kingdom. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. May each day on this earth look just a little bit more like your kingdom. Ooh, just don't watch the news. 
May each day on earth, just look, maybe in my life, I can't, I can't control what goes on in the rest of the world, but, but in my life, may each day look just a little bit more like your kingdom. May my practice look just a little bit more like your kingdom. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. When I've got to make a life choice about what to do and where to go and how to do it, would you help me to put it through the lens of how does this bring your kingdom here? But it's also incredibly practical. Sometimes we over-spiritualize prayer. Now, I'm sure you've all been in those places where people are waxing lyrical and they're going on and on. And in fact, you know, the Bible talks to that. But there's this practical aspect that Jesus comes to now. So get God in the right place. Get the kingdom in its right orientation. And then... You have needs. You absolutely have needs. And you will not be able to fully live out the kingdom and fully put God in his place if your needs are not being met. Now, be very clear to the differentiate between needs and wants, needs and desires. Jesus simply says, give us today our daily bread. Give us the sustenance that we need for today. And in different seasons of life, that sustenance will be different. You might be on spiritual highs sometimes, and you can kind of just go through without an awful lot. Then you're going to have times when you are feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders. And in those days, your daily bread is going to be different. What you need to be sowing in, the sort of things you need, the, the words that you need friends to speak into your life. But God is aware that you have need. And so praying that he would provide them, praying and trusting and seeking, saying, God, I'm just not sensing my needs right now. That either it's maybe I'm seeing something as being a need that's actually a desire, but I feel like it's a need. Provide for me, God. And as we give him the opportunity to do so, our faith, our trust grows. Then there's forgiveness. Jesus goes on and says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, when we come to know Jesus, when we ask him to be our Lord, we receive forgiveness. But we still carry those things over as we go through life. We, we let them have a foothold on us because we did that thing again. You know, that thing. That thing that you said you were never going to do again. I did it again. And Jesus knows that. And he knows that you need to be able to let that go. And so through prayer, we flag it. We say, God, forgive me for that. As I forgive those around me. As I forgive those around me. That, that actually learning the art of forgiveness this doesn't mean you become a doormat. This doesn't mean that you stay in toxic relationships. This doesn't mean that you stay in places that are unsafe. That is not what forgiving your debtors is about. But living a life of recognizing that others, just like you, will not live up to the expectations that you have for them. And finding ways to let go and forgive. Move yourself into a safe place Get out of things that are unhealthy and are, and are not appropriate. But finding ways to let go. And he goes to say, and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. We, we live in a world which is not just the physical. We live in a world where there is more than just what we see. And so through prayer, Jesus encourages us. Pray for protection. Pray that God would be present. Pray that he would uh, help you to recognize when you're being tempted or when things are pressing you in ways that are not appropriate. When there are ways that there might be some spiritual things going on. And we're in a Baptist church that doesn't like talking about spirituality all the time. It's, you know, it's sort of an area that we don't go into a lot. But it's real. So it's important to recognize. And that's where prayer helps us develop that trust. All right, that's prayer. We're going to move on to generosity. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you notice that all all, all. And there's that need again. You will abound in every good work. What's the trust issue with generosity? It's those three things. Provision, priority, and the big one is control. It's do I trust God to provide? Am I... Am I willing to actually give over to him in trust that he is actually there for me? Now, the passage that I read before, it's the main passage amongst others, which is the reason why I personally, and so the practice of the church, we don't teach tithing as a command. But we don't teach that you should give 10% to the church. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And there's a whole lot more to that. I, I think God actually asked for 100% of our funds to be used for his purposes uh, and that we actually find ways of doing that. Where do you give your funds? All kinds of places. But growing a heart of generosity, deciding and actually having a practice and having a principle that backs your practice and doing that regularly will help you grow your faith. So I use 10% as a principle, not because I'm commanded to, but because I think it's a helpful practice. So 10% of anything I earn, I choose to give that to the church and anything else that I give in other places uh, is above and beyond that giving. But you decide for yourself what that looks like. But generosity is the word that should, def should define it. Uh, priority. The re one of the reasons it sort of touches on these things is, are you willing to trust your finances towards God's priorities over and above your own desires? Are you able to sort of see and go, if I'm going to have your kingdom come, if your will is going to be done, am I willing to make sure that some of what I am earning or bringing in or have action over is being given towards those priorities? And the big one, and this is such a hard one, control. We, we like to have control over how what we give is used. 
You know, there might be times when you go, you know, okay, I'm going to get to the point where I'm willing to do, but it has to go towards this, and I still want to be able to say that that's where it's going. It's a control issue. And I actually think God uses giving as a way of actually helping us to say, actually, now, here's the thing. You should be at a church that you can trust with the finances. You should give to organisations that you can trust use those funds well. It is not inappropriate to vet the practices of the church or of the organisation or of the place that you're giving to. Don't just go flippantly giving money around different places if you don't have an, an understanding of how have they got good principles in place. Do they have good practices in place, how they report, how they communicate, all of those things. But also don't fall into the trap of going, I'm only going to give what I can sort of make sure goes where I see that need is. So I want this to be fixed and so I'm going to fund that, but actually that's not the need that that place has. That generosity actually helps to break through your need to have control in these places. See, one of the reasons I, I am convinced of this Private disciplines train our trust muscles. That the reason why it's important to have these practices in your life, whatever they might be, you may not do the full list. You may not do all of the Bible reading. You may not do you know, pray every day. You may not do all of those things. But actually having them in place is what helps to train your trust muscles. And so a couple of ways that you can apply this, a couple of ways that you can actually look at this is this. Here's a big one. This, if you get this one alone, I think this will free you from so many ways that sometimes private disciplines weigh us down. It's a bit like those gym memberships. I'll, I'll get to that. So don't focus on the discipline. Focus on developing trust. So let me explain how this looks from the gym side of things. The reason you decide to go back to the gym is because you want to get fit, not because you want to get the checkbox every day that you attended the gym. So the key thing around that is, are you getting fit? Are you actually seeing those kilos come off? Are you maybe going out for a run or maybe there's other ways that you can get the result? The result is what you're looking for. Not that you check the box. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure many of you are like me, you like to check the box. You like to be able to say, oh, I did that thing. You know, I'm a to-do list person. And by the end of the day, I either have to have moved the dates, which I've got a very strict practice about when I'm allowed to do that, uh, or I need to have checked it off. Because I, my, in my inbox, it needs to be empty. I am an inbox zero person. I need to have those things done. Otherwise, the world does not function. At least not my world. But the premise of these private disciplines is not that you read the Bible every day. It's not that you prayed every day. It's not that you did the thing. It's that your trust is growing. And so the marker that you should be putting on what you do in your spiritual disciplines is not that I checked the box, but is, is my trust in God growing? Now, one of the practices that I've had to make a change around, so Toby's now three. Uh, my practice was always to do a morning Bible reading time. Small children and morning devotions. Fun. 
Now, there are people who make that work. I tried lots of different ways. I shuffled. I tried getting up early. No. Uh, I, I tried, you know, set, setting alarm at five o'clock is just not my world. Like, that's just not going to happen. But I was aware that I needed something. And so what I've actually done, I've been doing this about three months now, and it's really made a difference for me, is I found an app that would send me one verse. And it sends it to me at seven o'clock. Now, remember I said before that I have to check things off? I cannot have notification things on my screen without dealing with them. Like, that's just like, those people I look at on their phones, are like seven notifications. I'm like, how are you alive? Like, how are you even breathing right now? I just can't handle it. And so my practice is sometimes there is enough time within my rhythm every morning to click on that notification and get that little like, and read that verse. And then sometimes that verse really sticks and across the day, it's a bit like, I use the analogy of the pebble in the shoe a lot, but it's a positive way. It's just that thing that just sort of comes back and I'm brought back to that and it reminds me and I'm like, oh yeah, I looked at that today. Oh yeah, at just the right moment, that scripture comes to mind and goes, yeah, that's what it was today. And if I think about my practices of Bible reading, I think about my practices of bringing that one scripture into my day. My trust in God is growing. Just having that one verse for me is, is really helpful within the realities of the season that I find myself in. It won't always be a problem. I'm sure in the future I will get back to the place where I read my Bible in the morning. Maybe I'll read it with Toby when he's a bit older and that will be part of our daily practice and it'll help him to be in that sort of space. But the key marker is not that I read the Bible. It's, is my trust growing? So find a way to practice your faith disciplines. Find a way to practice your spiritual disciplines that sees your trust growing and not just become a box exercise. Your experience of faith will always be limited by your level of trust in God. And that as your trust in God grows, so will your experience of faith. Here's the other thing to also recognize. So all of those who are sitting here, well, a good thing I've got nothing going on in my life. I certainly have no trust issues. We all have trust issues. Every one of us has trust issues. But they're not all the same. And you'll have different trust issues across your life. You'll have different trust issues that pop up because of seasons of life or experiences that you have. If you experience a trauma, if you experience something which is a really challenging season, it will raise different trust issues than what you had prior to that. So as you're thinking about what spiritual disciplines you actually take part in, which ones you prioritize, which ones are the ones that you kind of make sure happen, Try and identify your own personal trust issue. Is it control? Is it protection? Is it priority? What are the areas that you struggle in in terms of your life and faith? And look for and explore spiritual disciplines that help develop trust in those areas. Rather than trying to be, you know, do everything, I'm going to be the super Christian that does all of the spiritual disciplines. 
I'm going to identify the area in my life that I've got the least trust in God. Now, if you really, really like to have control of your money because you really, really struggle at the idea of actually letting God guide and direct, or, or you really struggle with actually choosing to follow God's ways because it just doesn't mesh with your experience of life and it just doesn't mesh with your understanding of faith. Identify your areas where you struggle with trust. And actually find disciplines that speak to and help grow you in those areas. Here's the other part of it. I actually, I don't like them being called private disciplines. I only use that because the, the series that I sort of took the main categories from calls it that. Uh, private disciplines are only half of the treatment. Private disciplines only half of the treatment. Pretty much all the ones that I've spoken to today and many of the other ones that were actually mentioned before are actually best experienced in community. That actually most, many if not most of the private disciplines that we take part in are also meant to be experienced together. But there was a reason why when Jesus came, he made a community of disciples. That he, he called 12 disciples, not just one or two super disciples. That 12 disciples. And, and they were sent out and they were called to bring other people together. That faith is actually meant to be experienced in community. And that you can be, you can be in seasons where you're actually mostly focusing on, on the private faith. But it's experiencing many of those disciplines in a place of community. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a Sunday morning. Because again, Sunday mornings can become a checkbox. Sunday mornings can become a, I guess I better go to church again this week. And that's not developing your trust. That's not growing your faith. That's sitting in a chair so you can say, oh, I went to church this week. Now, do I think that's a helpful practice? Of course I do. But not if it's just darkening the doors of a church to check a box. It, it's finding a place that you can be a part of a community whose practice and rhythm of living help you to grow your trust in Jesus. Being in a life group, having those two or three key Christian friends that you catch up with for breakfast every week or every month or whatever that might look like. Finding a place to let others speak into your life, to press into those areas where you struggle with trust. Because the more you trust God, the more that you see God alive in your life and in your workplace and in your family and see the difference that Christ makes in and through us, the more you'll be able to rest in the knowledge of his truth. If we can work through that trust. The main foundation of faith is trust. And spiritual disciplines are one of the best things to work our trust muscles. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for each person that's here today. I pray that as we leave, you might just whisper to each of us, what are the main areas that we need to work on for ourselves? Not from a works for salvation, not from a, I need, I'm not doing enough. But what are the key areas that are just keeping us that little bit further from you than we would even like to be? 
Help us to, to identify our own patterns, our own behaviors, our own habits. Help us to identify the areas that trust is a challenge. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you meet us where we are. Help us as a church to do the same. And then to slowly journey with people towards you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.